Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Method and Madness is a true crime podcast and contains descriptions of violence. This episode features themes of murder and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. All witnesses, persons of interest, and or suspects are considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. So that part kind of punched me in my gut because I'm like, damn it, I want to call my mom. Like, I think I might have literally cracked this case so far open. This is Method and Madness, Episode 72, The Namesake, Part 3. I'm your host, Dawn Gandhi. Previously on The Namesake. At the age of 22, Deborah Mowry lost her beloved sister, 24-year-old Katrina Mowry, to murder. Katrina was found deceased in the trunk of a car in June of 1985, in Dallas. The Mowry family was told by the Dallas PD that Katrina's death was a result of a suicide or an overdose, and someone got scared and discarded her body. According to resources curated by victim advocate and founder of Cold Case Advocacy, my dear friend, Jolyn Rice, unsolved murders can put additional strain on family relationships as survivors struggle to cope with their feelings of grief, feelings of blame, resentment, guilt, and anger. After Katrina's death and the misreporting regarding the cause of death, the Maori family in Kansas turned their backs. They felt shame. Then at age 30, Deborah lost her other beloved sister, Joanne, to murder. Joanne was spending the night with a companion at a motel in Dallas. She was beaten, her throat slashed with a broken beer bottle. There is no known connection between Joanne's and Katrina's murders, despite happening in the same city, just miles from each other. Their mother felt that because her estranged ex-husband, the girl's father, kidnapped them from their front yard in Kansas when they were preschool-aged and took them to Dallas for nearly two years, that this traumatic incident is what eventually led both Joanne and Katrina back to Dallas as adults, which ended both of their lives prematurely. There were complicated emotions at play for the family. Now, with more shame looming over them, the Maoris just wanted to move forward. And for most of the family, that meant not facing it. It took Deborah all she had to show up in the courtroom, at the trial for Joanne's killer, to show up for her sister, the only member of the family that did. Before one particular day in court, Deborah spent the day at the Dallas DA's office, going over details that would come up at trial. She was warned, by the DA, that Joanne's autopsy photos were going to be shown, 
And to prepare her for the shock, Deborah was shown the photos ahead of time. The DA had said they were some of the worst photos she'd ever seen in her career. The images of violence and brutality that Deborah saw made her sick. She vomited and couldn't get those photos out of her head. On the day she was to return to the courtroom, she got in her car and began driving, but couldn't bring herself to go back. Without Deborah's victim impact statement, Joanne's killer was sentenced to life with the possibility of parole. Why was she the only member of the Maori family with a fight? Why did she have to carry the weight of two sisters' murders? Deborah believed in unconditional love. For her, it didn't matter who Katrina or Joanne knew in Dallas. It didn't matter that they'd gotten involved with some shady characters. They were still the two best friends that Deborah had growing up, sharing laughs and fighting over clothes. Even with Joanne's killer behind bars, Deborah still had a painful road ahead of her nightmares, PTSD, and depression. And through it all, she was still following up regularly with Dallas PD to check the status of Katrina's case. Today, you'll hear about how Katrina Marshall, the namesake, got involved in the case. Let's dive in. On February 5th, 2019, Deborah posted this on her Facebook account. Today would be my older sister Katrina's 58th birthday. I still miss her each and every day. She was murdered in 1985. I named my daughter after her as a living legacy to her memory, and these photos are dedicated to her as they are photos of my Katrina and her family. The family, my sister didn't live long enough to neither have nor meet. So happy birthday, Katrina. I love and miss you with all of my heart. Studies have shown that families of unsolved murdered victims are often not given adequate support or resources. They may struggle to access information about the investigation or obtain counseling services to help them cope with their loss. My mom had always kept in contact with Dallas police. Always. So, like, she was, and she checked up on the case, and they just, they always told her the same thing. You know, we're still working on it. We're still looking into it. We're still investigating. And at this point, once my Aunt Joanne was killed and my parents divorced, and my mom just kind of gradually went downhill after that mentally, her PTSD was shot. Just, oh my gosh, horrible. You know, she's very emotional, very sensitive. She wore a heart on her sleeve, got taken advantage of a lot. It's a very sensitive topic, understandably. Uh, so anytime she questioned or asked for an update and they told her something, she'd be like, okay, okay, great, great, thanks, thanks. You know, she's just so sensitive to the topic. It's almost like she would take any answer they gave her just so her conscience knew she was still checking up on it or something. And I think they knew that. I think that they kind of exploited it. They could pretty much tell her whatever they wanted and she'd be okay with it. Research shows that families of unsolved murder victims often experience a profound sense of injustice, which can result in a lack of closure and ongoing pain. 
They may feel that the killer has gotten away with the crime and that their loved one's death has not been given the attention or justice it deserves. Families experience frustration and dissatisfaction with the criminal justice system, especially if the investigation is stalled or the perpetrator is not brought to justice. It was right before the pandemic hit. I was talking to my mom on a lunch break, and she brought it up just like she would any other time. I called Dallas again today. They said there's been no progress. And I was like, oh, okay. What else did they say? And she's like, same old, same old. They didn't have anything new. So I don't know what it was about this one day or why or if it just was a wake-up call I didn't know about. I just knew that something wasn't right. I just had that gut feeling, that intuition. So I thought it was probably time for me to get involved. I was an adult at that point. I was older. Hell, I'm named after the victim. I just had a feeling they were kind of giving my mom the runaround. And I wanted to inquire about it because I'm also technically next of kin too. And I didn't appreciate the way my mom had been running circles for 30 years. I was kind of, it was more of a defense thing for my mom. I was very like, you know what? Why do they keep doing this to her? She does not need this above all else. I inquired about it and they tried to give me the same runaround too, but they could tell I was more skeptical. For Katrina Marshall, she had something her mother didn't. She did not have decades and decades of emotional torment and turbulence about these cases. Her bravery in getting answers was not because Deborah wasn't brave. Deborah was already broken down, broken down by a broken system. Remember in the last episode, I compared broken systems in law enforcement to broken systems in corporate America. What these two systems have in common is they're man-made. People created the processes, the operations, and they have the responsibility to enforce that these processes are done correctly. And they also need to have the accountability to own the processes and any and all mistakes made. The things these two systems do not have in common. In corporate America, failure to do one's job properly doesn't necessarily result in the mental health decline of another human being. It doesn't mean a killer is free to go hurt someone else. But if the system in law enforcement agencies, in the courts, in corrections, if those systems are broken, that can and does lead to irreparable consequences. According to studies conducted over the last eight years, the trauma of losing a loved one to violence can have a profound impact on the mental health of survivors, particularly if the case remains unresolved. Studies show that family members of murdered individuals are at increased risk for depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder due to the lack of closure and resolution. The fear and uncertainty that comes with an unsolved murder can also have lasting effects on the mental and emotional well-being of survivors. They may experience feelings of anger, frustration, and hopelessness, as well as a loss of trust in law enforcement and the criminal justice system. I think two days later, I ordered the death certificate. Once I ordered that death certificate, oh boy, all bets were off. You know, that's when my mom, my mom knew I ordered it. I shouldn't have told her, but I did. Trying to be transparent. I told her I ordered it. And so we wanted to see what the cause of death was listed as. The cause and manner of death. 
because it was still technically supposedly an open investigation. And when we got the death certificate, it was the cause of death was undetermined following autopsy investigation and toxicology and the manner of death was undetermined. So the cause and manner of death had already been ruled technically and investigation completed. So they weren't actually actively investigating anything this entire time. And I knew as soon as I saw it, I'm going to have to tell her this. And so I knew as soon as I got it and saw it, I was like, damn it. There's no, and there was no way around it. She knew I was getting it. I could not tell her about it. So I just sent it to her and it kind of confirmed my suspicions, but also kind of crushed her hope, I guess you could say, or faith in humanity for that matter, or the police. I think it was two weeks after that she killed herself. There is a profound and often not discussed effect that survivors carry with them. Justice is out of reach. Information and resources aren't accessible. If you put yourself in the shoes of Deborah Mowry, her mental health suffering due to the losses of both sisters, the additional strain put on her well-being upon seeing autopsy images of Joanne, the weight on her shoulders, being the only one continually fighting for answers on Katrina's murder— raising a daughter, when some days it was too difficult to get out of bed. Now zoom out and imagine this on a greater scale, all of the family members fighting a system on behalf of their murdered loved one, feeling like they're the only ones who care about this person that lit up their life, the mothers who've lost their children and the adults who've lost a parent. Homicide affects them all in ways that are impossible to comprehend. Going from the stages of grief those moments of disbelief that someone you loved was taken from this earth and discarded, their final moments met with brutality, after those initial days and months of grieving, trying to shift into justice mode, following up with investigators, lawyers, trying to get an answer. What's the status? Has there been an arrest? The feeling of having no control over the outcome and trusting the system to do right by you, right by the victim, and that assumption that justice will be served. But days go by. Still, there's hope. And one day, you wake up, and it's been 38 years, and you don't feel any closer to answers. What happened? It's not a one-size-fits-all answer. Little evidence left behind. No witnesses, no smoking gun. These can all make an investigation much more difficult. But what about missed opportunities when the ones investigating are selective in not following up, whether it's because of their own bias or inexperience. For Katrina Marshall, she saw the suffering her mother endured for so many years, so much of it due to that belief that her sister Katrina Mowry was murdered, and yet she couldn't do a thing about it. She never faltered on that that belief, even though she never had the physical copy, like the toxicology or the autopsy proof. She just knew. I'm the one that went and found that part. That's when I knew that my mom knew <laughs> for sure. Like she knew, she knew, she knew, you know, cause you can't help sometimes eventually be like me. You no, know, maybe she's just biased because it's her sister. Maybe she's in denial. You know, maybe she just won't accept it or just doesn't want to believe it, you know, but no, she, she was actually right. Katrina didn't know much about the case. Only what she heard from her mom 
in September of 2020, after Katrina made the initial call to Dallas and felt she got the runaround, she went ahead and ordered Ann Katrina's death certificate. A few days after that, she ordered a copy of the police report via a Public Information Act request. More than a week passed by, and the ever-determined Katrina followed up on her requests and was told by the Public Records Department, quote, You will be notified upon completion of your request. As you stated, your request is a very old case, 1985, which comes from the archives. On October 2, 2020, Katrina received an email from the Dallas Homicide Unit lieutenant that said, quote, I do not have access to non-murder files that old. I can only determine it was not a murder in Dallas in 1985. A week later, Katrina received the death certificate in the mail. Found out quite a bit, actually. The first thing I noticed was that there wasn't just one death certificate. There were two. The first one was amended, and then put them both on there, which was nice. But the first one was amended, I guess it's just because of the pending result. But the first one was just pending, pending, pending. And then the amended one, that one was wasn't even issued until like August of 1985. And she was killed in June. So this would have been a couple months later, at least. And the second one was an amendment to medical certification of the certificate of death. And that one, the immediate cause said undetermined following autopsy, toxicology, and investigation. And that the manner was also undetermined. Pending didn't really say much to me. That's normal if you issue a death certificate that quickly. You can't really tell right away sometimes if it is for some reason some type of substance abuse or sometimes you can't tell right away how someone died or their immediate cause of death. So I get that part, but... I don't know why it took an extra couple months to issue the rest of it, but the shocking part was the undetermined. And then, of course, the following autopsy, toxicology, and investigation, because as far as we knew or were concerned, there was no conclusion of the investigation to begin with. Well, apparently, there wasn't a start to one either. So that's kind of what threw me off, and that's what probably really pissed my mom off more than anything. Now let's break down this realization that Katrina had upon reading the death certificate after 35 years. Imagine you're having a house built for your family out of state. You're communicating with contractors, builders, via phone and email. You're told that progress is being made, and to be patient, everything is being done to the best of the abilities of the professionals hired for the job. But there are setbacks, causing some delays, which is to be expected. But something in your gut tells you to check up on everything— you decide to drive to the site to see for yourself what the house looks like and what stage the project is in. You pull up to the lot, the empty lot. Nothing has been built, not a foundation, no driveway poured, just dirt. You've been conned. That's how Katrina and Deborah felt upon finding out that despite Dallas PD saying they were still investigating, Katrina Mowry's death was listed as undetermined, and toxicology results were still pending 35 years later. That was the breaking point for Deborah, who felt that she never got anywhere in getting justice for her big sister. She took her life on November 11, 2020, just slightly over a month after receiving the death certificate. She was 57 years old. 
Let's take a break. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. While now grieving the loss of her mother, Katrina Marshall had some decisions to make. Should she keep going? How would it affect her and her own family? She weighed it all out, but ultimately Katrina knew she had to keep going, for her mom and for her aunt. And where to begin? Who would she contact in Dallas? Where was that big book of resources for family members trying to get information on an unsolved homicide? Spoiler alert, there is none. Katrina felt anger for the way that Dallas had placated her mother for years. It seemed like Deborah was being taken advantage of, that since she had no choice but to take no for an answer, that Dallas was okay with only telling her no. Katrina, on the other hand, was not going to be that quiet. Inspired by the quilt her grandmother made with photos of sisters Deborah, Joanne, and Katrina— and fueled by the incompetence in which she saw her aunt's case being handled by the Dallas PD, she created a plan and began to execute it immediately. She was going to seek and gather as much information as she could about her aunt, newspaper articles, police reports, but calls and emails went unanswered. In September of 2020, before Katrina had received the death certificate, Dallas PD responded to her and said that there was only one murder in Dallas on that day in June of 1985. And it was a male. There was no record of anyone with the last name Mowry in the system. The contact in Dallas added that an address would help, that it was possible the Dallas Sheriff's Department or another agency had the records. They concluded with this, quote, Based on my experience, sometimes family stories are passed down that are not completely accurate. The namesake quickly found out that her aunt's last name was being misspelled when investigators and personnel were looking up the case. So naturally, no record would come up. And referring to her aunt's case as a murder certainly wasn't getting Katrina anywhere either. One email she received back from Dallas PD in March of 2021 said, quote, The case is listed as an unexplained death, and the cause of death is not known, which is why it is not in our homicide database. What is it you are requesting? Katrina reached out to other agencies, reached out to the Texas Rangers. They had no involvement in the case. Bounced back and forth from agency to agency, and at times feeling like there was still no progress, Katrina faced another challenging task, getting the public's attention. She started a petition on Change.org and took to social media and beyond to get signatures and attention on her aunt's case. She grew her presence on Twitter, made connections with other advocates, and paid attention to who on social media was reporting on unsolved cases. 
she sat back, observed for a while, and started reaching out to podcasters and journalists to get more and more eyes on the story. The uphill battle of getting attention on Aunt Katrina was nothing in comparison to the battle of working with Dallas PD. It felt like she was never going to get anywhere by dealing with emails and phone calls. Responses were vague, even, as Katrina describes it, condescending. If she lived in or near Dallas, rest assured she'd be showing up in person. But her life was where her Aunt Katrina's began, in Kansas. By January of 2022, Katrina's frustration with the lack of response from the Dallas PD led to her filing a formal complaint with the Office of the Attorney General. She was connected with a victim advocate working with the Dallas DA. And on March 14, 2022, Katrina ordered an official copy of the toxicology and autopsy reports. Upon receiving the copies of those documents, Katrina was once again floored by the information she received. I would say probably the day I remember the most of all is going to be that day that I got the autopsy back. I remember because I work from home and so I left to go pick up my younger daughter from school that day. And so I grabbed it out of the mailbox like on the way. I didn't realize it was like there or there that day. And so I picked up my daughter real quick and ran back home. And as soon as I got back, I had her go inside and I opened it. And I would have loved to have caught my face on camera because I just I stayed out in my car to read it. And it was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> but the worst part about that is I didn't really have anyone to tell. So that part kind of punched me in my gut because I'm like, damn it. I want to call my mom. Like, I think I might have literally cracked this case so far open. After all that talk about her aunt dying by suicide or a drug overdose, two simple, straightforward details in the autopsy report made Katrina lose all faith in the Dallas PD. Katrina Mowry did not have any drugs in her system. An overdose was simply not the cause of death. And further a detail that the namesake was hearing about for the first time. Quote, The body is wrapped in a white sheet, and there is a white cloth belt loosely around her neck. A belt around Katrina Mowry's neck. A second belt was wrapped around the sheet to keep it in place. When those results came back from the medical examiner's office, back in 1985, why wasn't the cause of death changed from undetermined to homicide, how was suicide or overdose even considered? In all the years that Deborah Mowry contacted Dallas for a follow-up, did anyone actually look into her concerns? The namesake's hard work was opening up cans of worms, and those cans were giving Katrina the fire to keep going. In March of 2023, Dallas PD announced they were reclassifying Katrina Mowry's death as a homicide. They took to social media to make the announcement that they were reopening the investigation. But another error overshadowed the moment for the namesake. When they reclassified it and posted it on all their social media, they spelled her name wrong really drove my point home. Like if that did not accurately sum up and describe exactly what I have been telling 
people that I have experienced, then I don't know what does. It was almost like just, it kind of just confirmed what I had said all along. Like, see, (laughs) I told you, like, I'm telling you, I can't make this up. It was just confirmation of what I had already been saying, but I was still kind of pissed off that they still spelled it wrong. They got called out everywhere. I didn't even have to, everyone else did it. I had all these people, these other advocates and individuals that had been working with me and they were just like vultures, (laughs) jumped right on it and immediately just started like calling people out. Like, what is wrong with you guys? What are you doing? Like, thanks for finally acknowledging it, but you guys still screwed it up somehow. (laughs) And then did they fix it immediately or? Um, No. On Twitter, they just deleted the whole thing. I never reposted it on Facebook. They fixed it. And I think on Instagram, they fixed it. Since March of this year, the namesake continues to seek information and to help Dallas PD put the pieces of the puzzle together. She's diligent in storing all of the information she receives and in note-taking when she speaks with those knowledgeable about the case. Back in August of 2022, Katrina took four pages of notes while on a phone call with the DA's office. So in June of this year, when speaking with a detective on her aunt's case, she was questioned about the accuracy of the information she acquired from the DA. Where did you get this information from, Dallas detective had said. The DA's office, Katrina replied. Five minutes after that phone conversation, Katrina received an email from the detective, one that was meant to be sent to the DA. The email says, quote, Katrina is being very difficult and saying you told her things that I don't believe to be true. The namesake's response to this misdirected email was iconic, making sure the detective knew he'd sent an email intended for the DA directly to Katrina herself. In her response, she said, quote, Asking questions does not make someone difficult. Why would someone lie about something like this? What is wrong with this department? The detective did leave Katrina a voicemail with an apology. Still, the namesake couldn't help but add this to the long list of reasons that her aunt's case has been incompetently handled. Katrina Mowry's death is still officially unsolved. But the namesake has a strong suspicion about who the murderer is and thinks that Dallas PD probably knows who it is too. Proving it will be the next goal. And that is the story of how a murder in 1985 affected an entire family. That is one example of the harm an unsolved murder has on mental health and how the perseverance of a woman who never even met Katrina Mowry led to the case being reopened and classified as a homicide. Here is Katrina talking about one thing that keeps her motivated. And then, of course, I have my uncles who just are either completely against it, don't want to know about it, don't care, or they tell me to move on with my life and that anything I do won't matter. It's not going to solve anything. So I have that hanging on my wall. That's what I look at every time I get overwhelmed and frustrated and want to give up or take a step back. That's, that's the fuel to my fire sometimes. What is on your wall? He said, you need to let this go. Life is too short, and this happened a long time ago. All of this is not going to solve anything. If we've learned anything about Katrina Marshall during this series, 
is that if you tell her she can't or she shouldn't, well, you might as well be daring her to do it. Before we conclude, I want you to hear from Katrina one of the favorite memories she has from her time with her mother, Deborah. We did the best we could. I mean, at one point, like, I remember celebrating a birthday and we didn't have, like, any money or anything. So to celebrate, my mom went and bought a two liter of Pepsi and we had a burping competition. Just taking drinks from this two liter of Pepsi to see who could burp louder. Like, it was so stupid. But it was so funny and it's, like, literally one of my favorite memories. Thank you to Katrina Marshall, the namesake. You are truly an inspiration, and the world needs more advocates like you. To stay up to date on Katrina Mowry's case, you can follow the namesake on Twitter, or X, at KatrinaMarsh91. Check the show notes for more information and how you can help. Thank you for listening to this episode of Method and Madness. If you haven't already, please leave a rating or review, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. To connect, I'm on Twitter at MethodPod and on Instagram at Method and Madness Pod. To chat, suggest a case, or discuss the episode, reach out to me at MethodAndMadnessPod at gmail.com. Method and Madness is researched, written, and hosted by me. Sound editing is by Mo and Spo. That's it for this week. Until next time, take care of yourself. For crisis support, text hello to 741 741.